At the end of Parshas told us, Yitzhak is old. He calls in Esav to give Esav the bracha. Rivka is told Baruch HaKodesh what Yitzhak told Esav. And she says to Yaakov, go into your father. I want you to put on these gedeizim, put on these hairy arm hides on your arm. Go in and steal the bracha. Yaakov does such. And no sooner does he leave than Esav comes in. And Esav realizes that Yaakov stole the bracha. Vayistom Esav as Yaakov. Esav hated a visceral, powerful hatred as Yaakov. And then he said the words, at least to himself, Belibo, Yikru yimei evel avi, let the days of my father's avelis, when my father will pass, hopefully soon, va'arga es Yaakov achi, I will kill my brother Yaakov. Rivka again hears this Baruch HaKodesh, she tells Yaakov what's going to happen, and she commands Yaakov to leave, va'yetze Yaakov, Yaakov leaves. And then he sees the entire event, he lies down in that place, he sees the ladder, the Malachim going up, the Malachim coming down, and he has a dream. And in that very little portion over there, Hashem tells him the following, Hashem says, I will guard you wherever you go, and I will return you to this land. Yaakov wakes up, he says, oh, I didn't realize Hashem was here. And then he heads out to the well to meet Rachel. There they agree to get married, Lovan says, I can't give it to you for no, nothing. Work for seven years. Yaakov works for seven years. He marries Rachel. It turns out it wasn't really Rachel. He was fooled. It's Leah. Waited a week, then work another seven years. He marries Leah, works another seven years. It's now 14 years that he's been at Lovan's house. He's ready to leave. Lovan says, don't leave. Stay more. Work this time. You'll keep the money for yourself. And after 20 years at Lovan's house, he's now ready to leave and he takes off. Now you have to recognize that Yaakov Avinu at this point understood that he's headed back to his parents' house, which is wonderful, but he also well remembers his brother Esav. And Parshas Vayishlach opens up with the words, Vayishlach Yaakov Melochim. Yaakov sends out angels, Rashi says literally angels, because he wants to know what is the state of affairs. What is Esav going to meet me with, what's he going to greet me with, and the Malachim bring back the word. <clears throat> we got to Ace of your brother, but he sure is not acting like a brother. He's coming, he's coming to greet you, armed with 400 men. He's coming with an army. He's coming for murder. He's coming to annihilate you, to wipe you out. And then the Pasuk says, Vayira Yaakov Ma'od. Yaakov was filled with fear, very much so. And it caused him tremendous pain. He splits up the machina, And Rashi explains to us he prepared for three things. L'doron, l'tfila, ul'melchama. He prepared the present to appease Esav. He prepared to daven. And he prepared for war. He recognized there was going to be a mortal combat over here. And there was going to be grave danger. And this part, if we read the Pesukim, is very clear and very understandable. But the Gemara asks a question. Gemara in Bracha says it's a contradiction. The Pasuk says, Vayira Yaakov Ma'od. He's filled with fear. Says the Gemara, how could that be? How is that possible? Didn't Hashem promise him, Ushmar Sicha Didn't Hashem already promise him that Hashem will guard him? How is it possible 
that Yaakov has fear of Esav. Rav Idi Ba'aba answers, Yaakov said to himself, that's true then. It's true that Hashem promised me then that He would guard me, but Shem Agarmachet, maybe I sinned. Maybe I'm no longer the man that I once was. The man then was worthy of protection, was worthy of Hashem's guarding him. Maybe I'm no longer that man. Shem Agarmachet, maybe I sinned. Maybe I'm no longer worthy. And that's how the Gemara answers. The question is, how could Yaakov be afraid Hashem promised him? The answer is, Yaakov assumed maybe he did a sin. And if you think about this Gemara, I believe it's rather, rather perplexing. Because Yaakov Avinu is going out to fight a battle. Now it is absolutely true that the Ovos were in a vastly different plane than we are. And to a large extent, we can't even really understand who they were. However, they were still human beings. And Yaakov Avinu is going out to fight a war. He's going to fight a war against his brother who is Esav. Esav is Esav. And Esav is a twin of Yaakov, whatever physical strength Yaakov has, I have to assume Esav is at least his equal. But Esav is not coming unarmed. Esav is not just coming on his own, he's coming with an army. 400 mercenaries. He's coming for the death. And Yaakov understands that there's going to be a battle. He prepares for Doron, for the present, and to peace. He prepares for Domining. And he prepares for war. Isn't it natural? Isn't it obvious that he should be afraid? Yes, Hashem promised him. Fine. Nevertheless, he's a human being. He should still have fear. But if this question doesn't quite sit that well, let me make it a little bit more clear. How long has it been since Hashem promised him? You see, the first thing that Yaakov did when he ran away from his house was he went to the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever. Remember Rashi says, before seeing that dream, he lied down in that place because for the past 14 years he was in Yeshiva Shem Ever. He didn't lie down in the bed. He was learning for 14 years. After 14 years, he sees the dream. Then he goes to the well. And then he spends another 20 years. We're talking at least 34 years ago. 34 years earlier, Hashem promised him. And now he's entering into mortal combat with Esav. And the Gemara is Akasha, how could he be afraid? How is it possible? I'll tell you the answer. Maybe Yaakov was a human being. There was a promise given 34 years ago. He's entering into a very, very dangerous situation. He knows Hashem promised him. He remembers, but at the end of the day, there's sharp swords and there's real danger. Maybe Yaakov was not quite like you and I, but maybe he was a human being and maybe he had fear. What was the Gemara's question? They had to answer by saying, oh, Shema Garmachen, I'm a different man. Maybe it's much simpler than that. Yaakov was afraid because he was a human being. And I'd like to see if we can understand the answer to this question. And to understand the answer to this, let me share with you a muscle. <clears throat> Imagine that you and I are walking down the street late at night, and it's a bit dark, and uh, all of a sudden we see three guys walking the other way, coming to us. They turn around and start heading to us, and they start making menacing gestures, and you and I both know that we're in trouble. At which point I turn to you and say, listen guy, nothing to worry about. Do not panic. I have at home a 9mm Glock. 14 rounds, one in the chamber. It's a mighty big gun. You don't got to worry about these three punks. I got a big gun at home. Don't worry about this. Now I assume that my words would not bring you great comfort. Because my gun that's at home is not going to do us much good because right now we are here, 
those three guys, it's us, and this is real. And in a very real sense, that's a moshul for bitachon. Before a person has even a serious conversation about the words trusting Hashem, you have to recognize one simple understanding, that Hashem is here. You see, if Hashem isn't here, if Hashem isn't with me, Hashem is not relevant. What good is my trust? I trust Hashem. I have bitachon, I trust Hashem. If Hashem is up there in the heavens, 13 billion light years away, what good is that? And the very first concept that a person has to fully embrace, fully get, before they can even begin a discussion of Bitochan, is Hashem is here, present. If Hashem isn't present, Hashem isn't relevant. And before you can discuss trusting Hashem, before you can trust, discuss relying on Hashem, you have to recognize that Hashem is here, right here in my life. And that concept is basic to our religion. And one of the names of Hashem, one of the kinuyim, the way we refer to Hashem is Hamakom. Chazal explained to us why is a sort of nickname, excuse my expression, but why is that sort of a kinuy for Hashem? I think Hashem is the place of the world. Hashem is the creator and maintainer of physicality. If there is a particle of anything in existence, it exists because Hashem keeps it in existence. And what that means in plain, simple language is, if anything is, Hashem is there. Because if it weren't Hashem keeping it there, it wouldn't exist. And what that means is every particle of space, every part of the cosmos, everywhere that there is something, Hashem is there. Hashem is called the makom, the place, because Hashem is the entire world. Hashem fills the entire world. Hashem is the entire world. And anywhere where you are, anything where anything is, Hashem is there, because Hashem is keeping everything in existence. And that concept is fundamental to our religion. That concept is basic to any sort of sense of bitachon. That it's not that Hashem is up there in the heavens. Can you hear me, Hashem? Save me. That Hashem is here, present, right here. However, that concept, while it's very, very basic to our religion, isn't that easy to feel. And to be very honest with you, I struggle with this as all of us do and many a day many a day as I'm about to start Shemona Esrei I want to apologize and I want to say oh I'm sorry Shem I forgot you were here because in the busyness of my life and the running and the doing I totally completely blank out and when I'm about to begin Shemona Esrei oh Shem I'm sorry I forgot you were right here and that reality that Hashem is present isn't that simple to feel we may know it intellectually Everyone says it, but to actually be margish, to actually feel it, isn't that simple. And I know sometimes people give me pushback. They say, no, come on, I know it, I get it. Hashem fills the whole world, Hashem is here, I get it. And I'd like to share with you that you don't. And I'll prove it to you. Anyone who ever says that line to me, I have a very simple question to ask them. And here's that question. When was the last time that you fainted during davening? When was the last time you passed out? Last week? Last month? When was the last time that you were about to begin Shemona Esrei and you fainted? Well, here's the observation. I am speaking to Hashem. Little me, speaking to the creator of the heavens and the earth, richer than Bill Gates, more powerful than President Trump, the creator, the one who keeps everything in existence. I'm speaking to Hashem. If I ever got that, if I ever realized that, 
isn't it obvious I'd be, <laughs> our reality is very, very far from that. And I'd like to share with you why it is that intellectually we can know it, we can mouth it, we could say it, but to actually be margish it, to feel it, is very, very difficult. And the answer is because that's the way Hashem made us to allow us to actually grow. You see, when Hashem took the neshama, the neshama, the I whom I'm speaking to, and brilliant, insightful, with tremendous, tremendous understanding, and Hashem put me in this body, and now I'm covered with layers and layers of physicality. Choshech the darkness of physicality, and the physical world, the material world, is the darkness of night to my seichel. And there are many, many things that I just can't understand. I just can't feel. And I can mouth the words, I could say the words, but it's not real. Why? Because I'm inside this body. And if you'd like to understand what that means in plain, simple language, imagine that you have a fine radio, a fine radio, and it really picks up a shortwave radio from across the world. However, you go inside a concrete bunker, 20 feet underground with <clears throat> tons and tons and tons of concrete surrounding you, the radio waves can't penetrate. The concrete is so thick. Radio waves go everywhere, but the concrete is so thick that they stop the radio waves and your shortwave radio is worthless inside that bunker. I am inside this body with layers and layers and layers and layers of physicality. And because of that, I can't be mortgaged. I can't feel. I'm locked up in here. I'm kept in here and I can't feel. And I can mouth the words, I could say the words, but I just don't feel them. However, every once in a while you do. And I got a chance to see that on a somewhat regular basis. I was a high school Rebbe for about 15 years. And one of the great favors they do for high school Rebbeim is they face them the wrong way. If you ever go into base Medrash, you see everyone's facing forward, but the Rebbeim, they face the wrong way. And for me, certainly in the beginning, it was a little bit of an uncomfortable experience. You know, davening is, is an emotional experience. You're talking to Hashem, and everyone's looking. Okay, anyway, after a while, I got used to it, put my talus over my head. But what I discovered was, from my perch, I got a very interesting eye view. I could watch the guys davening. Some guys daven beautifully. Some guys daven okay. Some guys do what I call fly-catching. <clears throat> okay, imagine we have Shmuel the fly-catcher. I mean, he's got the two-minute run straight, head down when it's filling, way before anyone else finishes. He's sound asleep. Day after day, <clears throat> head down. Okay. One evening, I come into the base medrash, and there I see Shmuel, right by the Aaron Kodesh, hat jacket on, shuckling, davening away. And I say, Shmuel, what's... Uh, What's, what's doing? Oh, Rabbi, I don't know if you heard, but my kid brother was a car accident. It's terrible. <clears throat> They're not, they don't know if he's going to make it. He goes back to his chuckling, his dominating. Now, folks, this never happened. But imagine for m- with me for a moment that I were to say to Shmuel, Shmuel, what are you doing? Rabbi, I told you, my kid brother, <clears throat> he's going to the operation. I see you. They don't know if he's going to make it. I, I, but Shmuel, what are you doing? Rabbi, I told you I'm dominating. Shmuel, there's nobody here. You're talking to the walls. Shmuel, what are you doing? You're talking to the walls. Would you like to know what Shmuel is doing? And what Shmuel is doing is what every Jew intuitively knows, that Hashem is present. There's so much static, so much noise that we're not normally aware of it. And sometimes it's not until the car is rolling down the mountain and you realize that your end is near, that you 
cry out, Hashem, please. But it's not Hashem 13 billion light years up there. Hashem right here, save me. Help me. But you see, that core recognition is that Hashem is present right here. The problem is that much of the time, if not most of the time, we spend in utter confusion, not understanding. The Mesut Shisharim describes for us tefillah. He says, would you like to know what the essence of davening is? Shu omed mamish boreas barach. That I'm literally standing in front of Hashem. I'm speaking with Hashem literally like there. And more than that, he goes on to say, literally as if I'm speaking to a friend. Imagine my friend is right here, and I'm speaking to my friend. My friend may respond, he may not respond, but I'm speaking to him. A direct conversation says in Sharm, Zuhi Tfila. That is davening. Little me having conversation with the creator of the heavens and earth right here. But again, not 13 billion light years up there. Hashem, can you hear me, Malachim? Please bring the tefillah. Uh-uh. Right here, speaking to Hashem directly. ish as a man speaks to his friend. That is davening. And when you understand that, I believe you also understand the answer to Yaakov Avinu. You see, we are caught in this haze, in this darkness, covered by layers and layers of physicality, and we don't get it. But Yaakov Avinu spent decades growing and accomplishing, cutting through the darkness, cutting through the haze. He felt it more clearly, more clearly, more clearly. And Yaakov Avinu walked with Hashem. What that means is when he opened his eyes in the morning, it was good morning Hashem. When he closed his eyes at night, it was good night Hashem. All day Hashem was there, present. Reality, much like I know this object is here, it's solid, it's real. To Yaakov Avinu, Hashem's presence was clear. Would you like to know why the Gemara says he couldn't possibly have been afraid? Hashem promised him. Yes, it was 34 years ago. But Hashem said, I'll guard you. Imagine that you and I are walking down that same street. But instead of my telling you I have a big gun at home, imagine that we're surrounded by the U.S. Marine Corps. And three punks walk up. (laughs) Believe me, the machine guns, the tanks... We would not be afraid of these three because the U.S. Marine Corps is right here. When Yaakov Avinu walked, Hashem was with him. He was not afraid of it. You shouldn't be afraid of Esav. Hashem promised you. The most question was, how is it possible? You have Hashem right there and Hashem promised you will guard you. How? The answer is, that was back then when I was on one level. Since I'm no longer worthy, maybe the promise no longer applies. The Gemara had a question because that was Yaakov Avinu's clarity. If Hashem promised him, it's not possible that he'd be afraid. The answer is, Hashem agar maybe he sinned, and therefore Hashem's promise no longer applies because Yaakov Avinu saw Hashem right there completely, totally, 24-7. And that concept is a very interesting concept and is the essence of our Avodah Hashem. Now, with that being said, I'd like to share with you an interesting idea. What can you accomplish in two hours a day? So many, many books are written and many, many things are done in two hours a day. As a matter of fact, let's say you decided you want to learn a language. You want to learn French or German or whatever it may be. If you spend two hours a day for two years, you could pick up a foreign language. Let's say you decide you want to play an instrument. You want to play guitar, you want to play piano, and take lessons, practice two hours 
a day, and you'll be pretty well along the way. You'll play the piano or guitar. Let's say you want to fly a plane. Again, two hours a day, two years. You want to become a captain of a ship. You want to become a scuba diver. Two hours a day for two years is a tremendous, tremendous chunk of time, and a human being can accomplish worlds in that amount of time. So here's my observation. How much time do we spend davening? So let's assume that you go to chakras on a daily basis. You got at least an hour or so there, certainly with the travel and et cetera, and more than an hour. Then you got mincha, you have marav, you have brachas, you have davening. So I did the math, and it's at least two hours a day. You will spend at least two hours a day, every day, and that's not even including Shabbos and Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc., you will spend at least two hours a day davening. Do you know what you could be accomplishing, what you should be accomplishing in those two hours a day? Cutting through the haze, recognizing Hashem's presence, understanding that the creator of the heavens and earth is right here. You see, davening is an exercise in getting it. It's an exercise in cutting through the very, very powerful concrete bunker walls and understanding that Hashem is here. I've heard it be said, <clears throat> learning Torah is Hashem speaking to me, davening is me speaking to Hashem, meaning it's getting it, understanding it, realizing that Hashem is really present. Could you imagine if for two hours a day, two hours a day, we actually would speak to Hashem? The level of ruchnius, the level of spiritual growth would be astonishing. But I have one more step to share with you. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a number of books. In one of his books, he writes about the fact that the 10,000-hour rule is what's needed to become an expert. There seems to be a rule in human nature that 10,000 hours is what's needed to become an expert. If you want to be an expert as a lawyer, an expert as a writer, you want to fly a 747, you want to be a professional hockey player, you want to be a rock star, apparently that number, 10,000 hours, is the amount of time you have to dedicate to your field, to dedicate, and when you put in that amount of time in real diligent practice, you reach the level of expert. Okay, so here's the observation. How many years do you plan on living? Hopefully a bunch, right? Let's imagine you start davening at the age of, let's say, 10, and hopefully you'll live at least till 80, maybe 90. Good, okay. If you're davening two hours a day, 365 days a year, 700 hours a year. 10 years means 7,000 hours. 20 years is 14,000 hours. And if you make it to 50 years of davening, you will have put in close to 50,000 hours, and by the time you're 80, you will be surpassed well over 50,000 hours of davening. And would you like to know what that means in plain, simple language? There are many, many times, and I'll go to a shul, and I'm very careful, very careful, because there is an issa called Gezel Shena. You'll excuse my vernacular. You're not allowed to wake a person up, and I don't mean to be critical. But there's sometimes when I wonder, what is going on? What are you doing? You're supposed to be communicating, speaking to your Creator, not reaching out to Hashem. Silence, if not the yawning, just dead silence. And then, and do you understand what potentially you could be doing in that time? 
You see, reaching out to Hashem, realizing that Hashem is present, is one of the greatest activities you could ever engage in. You're cutting through layers and layers of darkness. You're growing level after level. The Ramban explains that the purpose of all the mitzvahs, the focal point of all the mitzvahs, is laid as Hashem to know Hashem, to recognize that Hashem is here. That's the greatest spiritual level. And davening is one of the most effective exercises to do just that. But you actually have to do it. You actually have to speak to your Creator. You actually have to reach out. And to do that, you have to shut off the static, cut out the noise, and actually speak to Hashem. And I have one core concept that I think is very beneficial. Because at the end of the day, davening is difficult to really daven properly. And I have one exercise that I think is very, very eye-opening and very, very helpful for this issue. Let me explain what it is. Many a time I hear people say something like, wow, it was incredible davening. I felt so spiritual, so ruchni. Or maybe it was Rosh Hashanah. And I had... So I felt this such a spiritual awakening. And many times you hear people say these things, it's like it's so strange. Here I am, this physical entity, and temporarily having this spiritual experience, and it's kind of like weird. Nothing could be further from the truth. You are not a physical entity temporarily having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual entity temporarily having a physical experience. You see, I, the guy inside, I am the one inside this body. I am not the arms, I'm not the legs, I'm not the head, I'm not the chest. I am the guy inside. I'm the one who tells my arms and legs to move. But I who speak, I who think, I who remember, am not physical. You can't take me and put me into a cup of water, add some blue dye, see what color I turn. I can't be weighed, I can't be measured. I am utterly, completely ruchni. Now, I know I'm real because I've been around for a while and I've woken up every day, but I, the one who thinks, I, the one who remembers, am utterly, completely spiritual. Shem took me from under the Kisya covered, put me into this body for a few short years, gave me a mission. But you see, I am a spiritual entity temporarily having a physical experience. And once you really get that, and once you really identify who you are, suddenly davening becomes a lot easier. And I'll explain to you why. The Mishabrura a number of times in Chelek Aleph explains that your eyes should be closed during Shona Esrei. Now it explains, if you're looking in a sitter or there's some particular reason, you're allowed to have them open, but Be'etzim, your eyes should be closed during Shona Esrei. And I'd like to explain to you why. Because sometimes you have to close your eyes to see. You see, when my eyes are open, I'm receiving input from a world of illusion. Oh, it looks very real, but it's a temporary world, and that which my eyes see is all passing, fleeting things. But when I open my eyes and I see, it looks so real. And much like a scuba diver, if you've ever gone to a lot, if you've ever gone scuba diving, you'll notice that when you go under the water, everything is so alive. There's coral and there's fish, and it's a whole world. But then when you come up above air, it's also so alive, but it's a different world. There's beneath the sea, there's above the sea, two different worlds. 
when I open my eyes, I see things, and it looks so real, and it looks so vivid, and I think it's going to last forever. And sometimes you have to close your eyes just to see. And when you close your eyes in Shemana Esrei, and you just stop your mind from its busyness, and you concentrate on the fact that I am a Ruchni entity, and I'm speaking to my Creator right here, and you begin the process of speaking, suddenly you transform. You transcend physical barriers, and you rise above. And by the way, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, that's how the Ramah explains davening. His Pashtus Hagashmius, transcending physicality. And explains that's how people used to daven. They would speak to their Creator and literally break away from their bounds. They'd be still contained in the physical body, but in a totally different realm, speaking to Hashem right there. And when you close your eyes and you just connect, you speak, and you begin to realize and recognize Hashem is present, Hashem is here, and you do that time after time after time, you become a very different person, an extraordinarily spiritual exercise. But I have one more observation that I think is well worth thinking about. I am an observant Jew, and as an observant Jew, I try to observe things. And I noticed in the Ashkenazi community for a good while now a very strange sort of behavior. Uh, I used to think it was a muscle twitch. You know, it would be before a a Jew would eat or drink, there was this sort of like muscle twitch. And, and first I thought it was some kind of genetic thing, you know, passed down or something. And and I've seen, I've seen all types of people, young, old, they all have the very same muscle twitch. Before eating, before drinking, this sort of... And, and I don't know what it was. And I observed, observed, observed. And one day I discovered what it is. And one day over breakfast, I put my ear real close and I discovered it was not a muscle twitch. Do you know what it was? I put my ear real close and I heard what it was. It's Shakavaro. Shakavaro. Yep, that's what it is. Now I want to share with you what the bracha is supposed to be. Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed be you Hashem, right here. Elokeinu, our God, Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe. Shahakol, that everything, Nihiyeh Bidvaro. Nihiyeh is an interesting expression. Nihiyeh is not over, it's not past. It's not hove, it's not present, and it's not osid, it's not future. Nihiyeh is all three. That everything in existence was, is, and will be bidvaro with your words. Could you imagine if once a day I would cut through the static and recognize that Hashem is here, and recognize that Hashem is our God, Melech Olam, King of the universe, nothing happens under the sun without Hashem's direct involvement. Nothing can happen. Shahakol, that everything, everything that my eye sees, was, is, and will be kept in existence with Hashem's words and words alone? Could you imagine if once a day I just stopped and recognized that reality? Well, here's the interesting halacha. We Jews are not obligated to make a bracha once a day. One hundred times a day. One hundred times a day. We're supposed to stop, say, Hashem, I get it. You're here. You're the creator. Anyone who keeps everything in existence and we're supposed to come to that core cognition 100 times a day. Could you imagine what a Jew is supposed to be like? Could you imagine if I dominate the Shemar like I'm speaking to my Creator right here, 
<clears throat> Can you imagine if once or twice or ten times a day I stopped in Hashem, I get it, Hashem, you're here, I get it. That's what a Jew is supposed to be doing. That's what a Jew is supposed to accomplish. But you have to know the system and you have to know what to do with it. I think this Chazal is a tremendously eye-opening concept. Yaakov Avinu was on the level that when Hashem promised him 34 years earlier, I'll guard you, the Gemara says it's not possible that he felt fear. When Esav comes armed with 400 men for the murder, it's not possible that Yaakov Avinu had fear. Why? Because Yaakov Avinu walked with Hashem all day, every day. For Yaakov Avinu, going out to meet Esav was child's play. Why? Because if Hashem promised him, he's surrounded by the U.S. Marine Corps as well as every other... Hashem, Hashem himself, creator of heavens and earth. There's nothing to fear. Gemara <clears throat> says, how could it be? And the answer is that Yaakov assumed Hashem promised him back then, maybe he changed. Hashem agar machet, maybe he's no longer worthy, and therefore Hashem's promise doesn't apply. If Hashem's promise doesn't apply, I'm in this one myself. This is serious issues. This is mortal danger. But that concept that Yaakov Vino walked with Hashem, and Hashem was totally there, is the essence of our avodas Hashem. It's certainly the essence of all bitachon. Again, if I tell you I have a big gun at home, the big gun that I have at home is irrelevant. And before we could have any discussion about amuna, about bitachon, and what that's predicated on, what that's all based on is this understanding that Hashem is right here. And again, the Mesut Sharm explains to us that that is the essence of tefillah. The essence of davening is communicating, speaking to Hashem. Speaking to Hashem directly here, as if I'm speaking to my friend. My friend may respond, may not respond, but my friend hears. That's literally the way I speak to Hashem. And that understanding is one of the greatest spiritual exercises you could ever engage in. Why? The why is because you begin to cut through the confines. You begin to cut through the haze and the things that block and you begin to come to that core cognition. The way to work on it is to recognize I am the guy inside. I'm not the arms, the head, the chest, the legs. I'm the one inside. And when you understand that, you understand I'm utterly, completely spiritual. When I open my eyes, I see a lot of stimuli. And the stimuli distracts me and it looks real. But it's an illusion. When I close my eyes, the movie stops. And the movie stops and now I'm able to change I'm able to go into totally different spheres. I'm able to relate to concepts that internally I know, deep down I understand, but needs working on. Why do they need working on? Because that's where Hashem created us. Hashem gave us this opportunity to grow and accomplish. Hashem put us in this very heavy body, but like that radio transmitter, radio receiver that's inside layers and layers of concrete, it doesn't receive the radio signals. I'm inside this body and it's difficult to hear. The exercise of davening, of speaking to my Creator, asking, begging, beseeching, changes me. It transforms me. <clears throat> it allows me to recognize that Hashem is present. But it's an exercise that requires being done exactly that way. And I'd like to share with you one more thought. An hour before, an hour davening, and an hour after. It's a Mishnah. <clears throat> the Mishnah tells us, Anshei Knesset Agdoli used to daven three hours each davening. An hour preparing, an hour davening, and an hour after. Gemara asked, they spent nine hours a day, nine hours a day? How'd they accomplish anything else? Special Siyat Rishmaya, and their learning was guarded, everything else was taken care of for them, but they spent nine hours a day davening. Then Nevesh 
asks a very interesting question. I get it the hour before, preparing. I'm going to speak to Hashem, the creator of the heavens, the earth. There's a lot, a lot to think about, a lot to prepare. The hour during, I also get it. There's a lot to ask for. All of my needs, the Jewish nation's needs, the world's needs. There's a lot, a lot to ask for. I get the hour before, I get the hour during, but what's the hour after? You finish dominating, take three steps back, and you're done. What's the hour after? Explains in Nefesh Chaim, they had to come down. You see, when you leave these physical realms, and you <clears throat> reach higher levels, you're dovik to the Shekhinah, you're close to Hashem, and to come back to this mundane physical world is not so simple. It's very, very difficult to come back down into this body and to come back into this life because it's so thick, so corporeal, it's so unpolished. And it took them an hour to come back because they reach planes, they reach heights. And that's what tefillah can do. Besides getting all of your needs met. And what dominating does is it allows you to transcend physicality. But you got to use the system, you have to work it. And again, <clears throat> working it means speaking to my Creator right there. And I want to close with an observation that I think is very relevant. When my daughter, my oldest daughter was younger, she was, um, she was Loa Lenu, a, a Yankees fan. A Yankees fan. Now, I tried to be a good father, and whatever my kids were into, I tried to do with them, etc. So I decided to take my daughter, she was about 13, and I took her to a Yankee game. Now, as a kid, I was very into athletics and I played, but I was not big into spectator sports. I don't know, just sitting there watching was not, a, not much fun for me. I'd been to a game or two, certainly years early, but it had been many, many years. And to be honest, I hadn't watched a professional baseball game in maybe decades. Anyway, we get there, and we're sitting there, and, uh, you know, players take the field, and the pitcher gets up there. And after about a minute, he throws the ball. Ball comes back. And he throws it again. I'm like, will you do something? This game is boring as sin. Will you? I mean, it's an interesting game when they do something, but they don't do anything. By the top of the first inning, I was bored out of my mind. Baruch Hashem, my daughter, happened to have an autobiography with her. The autobiography of Derek Jeter, who was then the shortstop for the Yankees, all-star. So I began reading because I was really going nuts. And I read something so astonishing. Do you know that Derek Jeter, who was the all-star, one of the best baseball players of all time, used to show up to the game four hours before the game started? Every game, four hours before. First he showers, then he changes, then he starts limbering, starts stretching, starts warming up, so that by the time the first pitch is thrown, he's four hours into the game. You know why he became the all-star that he became? Yes, he was talented, but the amount of work, the amount of focus, and coming to the game four hours before the game because the game is where the action is at, that's why he became the great that he became. Here's a simple observation. Could you imagine if you were to invest 10 minutes a day into davening? Now, I'm not going to say come early to davening, that's a takanash, ain't a tzibu yachalamadbo, but imagine if once a day you would stop and study something about the world, Study the creation, study biology, study wildlife, 
see part of Hashem's vast and incredible world and teach your eye to say this is astonishing. And this is the wonders that Hashem brought into creation with words and keeps in existence. If 10 minutes a day you would spend just doing that, I believe it would change your davening. And I have one more observation that's well worth understanding. Yes, it's key and essential to speak to Hashem right there, but another great school of davening is knowing what the words mean. And I'll be honest with you, I've done this in many high schools throughout the country. Fine fellows, they're good, they can learn a ksos, they can learn a tosa certainly, and I'll ask them the very difficult question of what do these words mean when I thumb through Pesukit Zimra and I get some blank stares on a regular basis. And if you don't know what the word means, the book is broke. And don't tell me, Dominic, Dominic's boring. We're saying the same words over and over and over. How can I dominate? It's so boring. Dominic isn't boring. You've never tried it. Try it one day, and you might find it very interesting. But if you don't know what the words mean, you're not davening. You need to say the words from the Siddur, and you need to say certainly the words of Shemana Esrei because they have powerful, powerful effect. You need to also davening in your mother tongue. The Mishabur is very clear, and you can speak in the middle of Shemana Esrei in Shema Kolina. If you're, not, if you're not sure where, each bracha has a certain theme to it. You could ask for that theme within the bracha if you're not sure. In Shema Koleinu, that's the Shahakal of all brachas, ask, ask, ask for whatever you want in your mother tongue. And if you speak in your mother tongue and you speak to Hashem and you ask and you say, Hashem, I can't do it, I need help, it suddenly changes your whole dominating. And suddenly you're speaking to Hashem. But you also need to say the words of the sitter. Why? Because the words of the sitter were designed by Chazal with tremendous wisdom and understanding and it's a tremendous growth step. You start with Psukari Zimra, Actually, you start with brachos, describing the wealth that we have. I have eyes, mobility, arms. Hashem, what you give me, I have shoes, I have clothing. You feel a sense of wealth. Then you start psukit zimri, you start describing the wonders of this world, the Congo, and the tremendous, everything that Hashem does and keeps in existence. And then you get to baruchu. And you recognize that we are doing much like what the malachim above do, and three times in davening, we say a Kedusha, and we transcend this world, and we act as the Malachim. We say Kadosh, 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 Hashem Savakos. And if you study, just pay attention from the words from Baruch Hu and realize that we are mouthing the words that the Malachim up above sing in praise. Groups and groups, thousands and thousands of groups, each one containing millions of Malachim, sing Shiras Vitish Bachos to Hashem, and we are imitating them. When you go through that process and then you're about to begin Shemana Esrei and you realize that I am going to speak to my Creator right here, little me, converse with Hashem right here, it's a transformative process. Yes, you have to daven in your mother tongue also. <clears throat> yes, that allows you to really get it and realize it, but you also need to use the words of Chazal. May Hashem grant us the wisdom and the capacity to put this into practice. May Hashem grant us success in this.